Welcome to the Roots Sports Performance Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Sean Pitcher. Today's guest is Jessica Beal. She is a sports pharmacist, receiving her doctorate of pharmacy from Mercer University. She serves as the director of clinical services and practices at an independent community wellness pharmacy called Hobbs Pharmacy. She's also founded the Athlete Pharmacist and currently also consults with clinical sports pharmacists for athletes across multiple levels of athletics in the U.S. and internationally. Fun fact about her, she's medaled nationally and internationally in Olympic weightlifting and at 41 set a world record in the snatch. So let's be real. She's the real deal. <laughs> well, thank you for that introduction. I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, excited to have you on. I think, you know, talking about sports pharmacy is definitely a newer subject that I don't think a lot of practitioners have heard about before. Genomics is definitely coming on the scene and that directly integrates with food, especially like nutrigenomics. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a really opportune time to have a discussion about this, but welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to, to get some information out there about sports pharmacy and genomics and see where this conversation goes. Absolutely. So can you tell us what is your roots? Yeah. So my roots, I guess my roots really do reside in sports. My, both of my parents were athletes. Um, I was a good high school, multi-sport high school athlete, played division one volleyball. Um, and it was kind of during college that my love for like healthcare and kind of figuring out where, how the body works. I have an undergrad in chemistry, biochemistry and stuff like that. So um, it, it kind of, it kind of started there and I, I started figuring out why is the, why are we making these chemicals for these receptors and what's going on with the body? At the same time, I was struggling through playing college volleyball and it all just kind of came to a whelm one day and my professor said, Hey, you should go to pharmacy school. I had never thought about it. <laughs> um, so I started working in a, in a community pharmacy in Asheville, North Carolina. And we did, we had an herbalist and a naturopath on site. So I did a lot of information on supplements and diet and lifestyle um, before this was really a big thing. And so that's kind of where my roots started. And it has just, the path has just been kind of like a windy path since then. Um, but playing um, starting in doing Olympic weightlifting, it's a drug tested sport. So I had a lot of like teammates and people asking me questions about supplements and safety and are they banned? Are they not banned? And so years ago I started what was sports pharmacy that I didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had a lot of people asking for consults on like hormones and re how do they recover better and their nutrition. And so, um, I started a consulting firm on the side and it's just blossomed since then. And sports pharmacy in the U S has probably in the last year, just skyrocketed. Um, it's internationally well-known kind of for anti-doping, but in the U S it's taken a a bigger role into kind of being part of an inter interdisciplinary team for the athlete. Well, athletes is a very high revenue sport and they're the the 1% of the 1%. So everyone's yeah. trying to do as much as they optimally can yeah. to keep them from getting hurt, keep them from getting sick. And how am I going to perform better than the person across from me? So <laughs> wherever we got to look for, for help for that, we're going to do that where we have to look to make sure everyone's also on a, an even playing field. Right. People are going to do that too. Um, so obviously those investments and opportunities are there. And I like what you said kind of earlier that the body is very unique. It I is. don't think we're ever going to 100% figure out everything about the body, but there's always something new that we are finding out. 
-hmm. every single day, month, year, you know, it's constantly new research coming out all the time, which makes it very fascinating uh, on how we can continue to keep optimizing that too. Yeah, there's so much out there. It's I, I like you said, I don't think anyone's ever going to fully understand it. Plus the nuances between you and me, even between me and like my brother, it like yeah. genetically we're same parents, but still totally different in as different aspects. So I think that's what makes it really unique and challenging. And basically every athlete is an N, N equals one case. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. So, so if I'm a practitioner like myself, a dietitian, or let's say a strength and conditioning coach, and they're coming up to you and they're like, what, what is sports pharmacy? What, what would you tell that individual? So we had this discussion the other day with a bunch of us that are pretty leading the charge in the U.S. And there's a, not a great, we don't have a definition. We haven't defined it. It is a new field in the U.S. And I, I will try and explain it as best as I can. Sports pharmacy is pharmacists working as part of an interdisciplinary team to support athletic performance and human performance. And we do that in different ways. Um, it may be anti-doping. It may be looking at clinical labs. It's looking at supplement recommendations. It's looking at medication recommendations, but also how do those medications and supplements interact with each other, interact with your performance, interact with your genetics, interact with all of that. Um, and also taking a, a bigger approach in how is that also affecting lifestyle and long-term longevity, both in sport and just in human, human longevity. Mm -hmm. So um, we have it. I wish there was a good definition I could like read, but it is an <laughs> all involving well, very, very new area in the U S and we're working, we're coming up with like mission statements for some of the new sports pharmacy groups, but everyone's kind of trying to see how it goes before we completely define and kind of, Put us in a box <laughs> so i guess like what is what is your process and if you're working with an athlete are you getting certain biomarker tests like are you doing a a, a gene test right off the bat uh you know or are, are there specific markers that are your go-to's that you look for like where do you even start when you have these conversations with a team or or different athletes so i usually start um and you may find this, a lot of people find it surprising as a pharmacist. I start with the foundations of like, how is your nutrition? How is your sleep? How is your training? How is your recovery? And what are you currently taking? I mean, I am never going to say I'm a dietitian. I'm never going to give like a food recommendation, but I have enough knowledge to know, like, are you under eating? Are you getting enough protein? Are you getting enough carbs? Are you getting enough of these macronutrients or micronutrients of like, a female athlete, are you getting enough iron or calcium, different things like that? So I kind of start by taking a whole look at the, at the patient or the, uh, the patient athlete. And then we're kind of customizing based on what's going on. So not, like you said, not everyone's the same. So not every person needs, they're trying to gain weight. Some are trying to maintain weight. Some are trying to recover better. Some are trying, having sleep issues or anxiety issues. So from there, we start looking at specific concerns of the athlete. Um, I will tell you the majority of my athletes, especially my younger ones and my collegiate ones, I'm not pulling nutrigenomic panels <laughs> off the bat because there is so much foundationally that we can do before we're looking at these nuances. It's kind of like, I don't automatically adding supplements because I'm like, wait a second, you're not getting enough protein in the beginning. So I don't care if I add a supplement, it's still not going to fix that. So um, depending on the level we're at, 
Um, I do do a lot of like lab recommendations. So female labs, female hormones, males, um, just lab profiles to see where they're at with different biomarkers and then kind of start customizing based on, you know, concerns. Yeah, you, you get into some of these age groups and, and I like the, you said, basically you start with the basics, sleep, hydration, feeling. I mean, it's not sexy, but guess what? That's the things that are going to work and that's the things that you have to do every day. And that's what's going to probably make up the 90 to 95% of what's going to make you a good athlete at the end of the day, if you can do those at a very high level. I, I and, agree a hundred percent. People find it. I was like, it's not, I know it's not sexy. It's not Instagram worthy or TikTok worthy. <laughs> it does. And I tell them all the time, like I work in a community pharmacy and I'm talking to 60 year olds, people at the desk about nutrition and sleep and hydration because they have now avoided it or not optimized it. I tell them it's a skill that you learn throughout your life. It's constantly evolving based on like what's going on in your life, where stage you're at. But I, I'm talking to diabetic patients because they've never understood how to sleep right or uh, or control stress or nutrition. And I'm like, we're trying to set this foundation now. So you're not at that point after sport and everything that you're diabetic or, you know, overweight or hypertensive because of the lack of a foundational skill. Yeah. And if you don't know, you don't know if you don't have it, someone to be able to teach you those things and yeah. you're going through a life and you're 50, 60, you're just doing what you did in your environment, doing what your parents taught you, do yep. what you, the people you grew up around. I mean, that's, that's how you're going to accumulate those behaviors. And until someone yep. like ourselves comes into the picture and says, Hey, like you should do this, this, and this, and you can feel this much better. And then a week or two, all of a sudden their energy levels rise and they haven't felt that good in 40 years. They're probably going to come back for some more questions because they're like, well, I want, I want more of this because I want more. I've never yeah. felt like this before. They're like, wait a second, I don't have to take any more medicine and you can actually help, like, I can just do these little things. And I feel like it's super impactful to be able to give patients or athletes skills that they can use for different things instead of being like, hey, you need another medication or you need another supplement. Like sometimes less is more, I feel like. And, and you can probably tell me, like, it, isn't it like 60 to 70% of diseases typically comes from oh. exercise and nutrition, like alone? Yes. Exercise, nutrition, and stress. And I think it's probably like 70 or more. It Most of them have to do with, you know, lack of foundational skills or not being able to apply it or just not doing it. Yeah. So how do you integrate yourself with a, uh, like an interdisciplinary team? So obviously sometimes you may be in situations where you may have to ask a lot of those questions yourself because maybe they don't have a team. But then what do you do as you transition to like working with an actual sports team? Do you, do you collect a lot of that information from them first? Yes. And then if, and then if you're seeing like, all right, athlete A has two red flags, athlete B has four red flags that maybe cuts down on your process and allows you to essentially target maybe what you want to do or what you think should be done. Yes. So if we're starting to look at teams and work with a team overall, we start looking at, I start looking at overall trends and what can we, what can get us the most bang for our buck? Can we get eight athletes because we're now, because maybe their, their training load is too much. Um, or we're over, like we're, we're over stressing them. And so what is there's an over resounding kind of theme among most of the athletes. So we start there and like, I work with like ATs and PTs and diet team dietitians 
what are you seeing in this team? What, what are your trends? What are you seeing? And trying to be that like intermediary between everybody, maybe they don't always talk to each other, but Hey, I'm trying to grab this information from your nutrition perspective, plus the AT perspective, plus maybe the ortho perspective or sports med doctor. What are you seeing? What are you constantly being treated for? And, um, and then kind of see, okay, what can we, how can we get the most bang for our buck and then start working one-on-one with the nuances? Are, are you seeing specific trends like in athletics when it comes to, let's say biomarkers, for example, like one thing I see it's pretty chronic is low vitamin D, low yes. omega-3 levels, low magnesium. I mean, I think probably wherever you go, if you do get the opportunity to do biomarkers on your, your athletes, you're probably going to see some type of deficiency or, or low level there, but anything yes. maybe outside of that, that's common, or does it depend on maybe the sport and if they're inside and outside? Yeah, I was gonna say some I vitamin D and like you said, vitamin D, uh, magnesium, omegas are definitely at the top of the list. I do see a lot of inflammatory markers. Um, so some of the inflammatory levels like CRP, homocysteine, that those can be definitely inflamed. Some of it has to do with like training. When did they get labs done? Are they in season? Are they out of season? Um, some of it's known iron in my female athletes, pretty, very, pretty common, low iron levels. Um, especially in my endurance, like the endurance athletes more likely, um, or some of the weight class sports where they're kind of cutting or maybe under eating. So I see that, um, those are probably the biggest ones. And then the next one that I do a lot, a lot of my clients happen to be female athletes. And so I do see a lot of hormone issues. So low levels of like progesterone and estrogen, even thyroid, because they have just either undertrained, which I like to say under recover, I mean, overtrained or under recovered and yeah. under eight. And so we start seeing some hormone, some low levels of hormones. So some periods being longer or skipped and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I saw the recent Reds article yeah. just came out a few weeks ago. So that new was guidelines, yeah. to get an update there. Um, and, you know, it's it's also sad you know, a lot of times with these female athletes and, and the coaches and maybe some of the people they work with, like, just make them think like not having a period or, or having these changes is just normal. Like, it's just part of athletics. And it's like, no, like, that's that's not the case. If you're having like X, Y and Z happening, that yeah. that's not normal. You need to be getting checked out. You need to be talking to some practitioner to try to like figure out what's going on because you're probably gonna be at a risk for a high injury or or illness in that case yeah and not to mention like i i have a couple i've had one athlete that we've had we had when i got her had already had multiple stress fractures and i was just like what in the world <laughs> like and so we we're in like a cycle of like 45 days and i was like that's not normal normally it's like 28 give or take a couple so um we need to figure out like what's going on um so yeah diving in I luckily my background in my community pharmacy, I do a lot of hormone therapy um, consults with perimenopausal women and menopausal women. So my background in hormones have really helped me be able to, you know, talk and help um, younger athletes understand like what's going on. So I, I have a question for you here. So like a lot of times when we go to physicians, right. Yeah. And, and, and we know like some of these biomarkers or, 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 or micronutrients are probably going to be deficient, yeah. but most physicians or most insurance companies won't cover to get them done, even though we know that they can lead to several different problems. So I, mean, I don't know if you have the answer to this question, like 
do we know why insurance companies won't cover these? Like, obviously, if we can supplement them with them and we can know we can get them back to an optimal level, optimal level that's going to help them. Or is it just, you know, everyone kind of blames big pharma, like big pharma wants to just make revenue. Maybe what's your opinion or feedback on, on that? <laughs> I've always wondered, like, I guess oh, so many different gracious. opinions. <laughs> so, um, so I think vitamin D is an, a prime example of this one. They, unless the doctor is willing to put a diagnosis down that you're vitamin D deficient, nine, nine out of 10, the insurance isn't going to cover it. Mm -hmm. And it's in essence, it's not an expensive test. Um, you could technically as a patient go on to like a website, like I use Ulta labs and you can get a test and done, do it yourself and have it done at quest. You can pay for it yourself, which is super cool these days, but Insurance, I think, is trying to get away with the minimal possible. Mm. And this is, it's, and it's obviously a much larger conversation yes. of like, <laughs> it's not so much, and people might cr cringe at this. It's not so much, it's big pharma, but there's actually a group in the middle called PBMs or prescription benefit drug managers. And so that's like your express scripts, your CVS care mark. Um, your optum, and they're the ones that process and kind of are the middleman. They're the ones that are really. Um... <laughs> What's the best way to put it? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to put this. Um, they're the ones making all the money and causing this upside down um, system. They're saying we're only going to pay you fifty dollars. Um, we're or maybe not cover it, or maybe require prior author this. We're going to then bill the insurance or the employer $300 and they net the difference. Uh, I mean, it's like, it's like when I was in clinicals, when I first started coming up and, you know, people will get, you know, all up and end like, wow, why is my bill $30,000 or something like that? They're charging me $50 for a bandaid. And I'm like, yep. well, if, if the hospital doesn't charge them that they probably might even not make a quarter of that. So quarter, like they yeah. have to charge these outstanding prices. It, it sounds insane, but the hospitals are also a business and to be able to stay afloat, to be able to serve the community and make sure everyone gets what they need. Like they also need to make money to be able to pay everybody and keep the lights on too. So, right. you know, it, it just, it's unfortunate. It's just, seems like this vicious, vicious cycle that occurs. Yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of, it's a system. I feel like it's starting to come even more, especially in the pharmacy world to the head of like drug prescription, drug prices and coverage and co-pays and all that. Um, it's been festering for a while, but it's definitely more so now with like insulins, you start seeing it in the news and stuff like that. So um, yeah, it's, I mean, big pharma is not uh Except yeah, you're, from what they're doing, but it's definitely there's some other middlemen in there that play a role that kind of somehow skirt under the radar when people start looking at healthcare. Yeah, even when you're when you're charging individuals that need the medication, like they they can't help it, like they need it, and then you're charging like double, triple, and then do I choose rent and food or do I choose the medication? Like the fact as a yeah. human, we have to come down to that decision just to stay alive. It's sad. It's sad. It's so um, sad. Shout out to Merrick Health, though. Great, great option if you need to get blood work done. Um, oh, yeah. They're them. a great one, too. Super I was going to say, there's some great ones out there um, that we all, I'm sure, have our own. So I think mm -hmm. that it's a great option and the ability. I find it 
beautiful that we now have the ability to be able to run or request tests that we're curious about that maybe the insurance won't cover or maybe the doctor won't order. Um, I did like fasting insulin. I do that often, especially on my female athletes with maybe possible PCOS just to kind of get a baseline. And like a lot of times they don't cover it or won't order it because nobody knows how to interpret it. And so I'm like, it's like, you know, 20 bucks. It's okay. It's a great, it's a great marker. Or this is what I find too, is a lot of our ranges are outdated for athletes or different ethnicities or different populations, you know? So it's like, you're all right, this, this, this research on this lab level was off of a a Caucasian male from some 1970 study. How does that relate over to the athletes that I'm working with right now? Who's six foot 10 and 260 pounds. Yes. And And you're telling him he's normal, but clearly (laughs) training his part-time job is just exercising and he's taking in 5,000 calories. Yeah. I think his intake and his level is probably going to be a little bit different than somebody else's. Yeah. I, I tell, I mean, uh, we go back to vitamin D iron in a lot of those biomarkers that we see low omegas that they're, you know, they're kind of skewed and like the doctor will be like, they're normal. And I'm like, it's 30. Like it's not off. Like, yeah. Okay. It's normal for that lab or that range, but not for you as an athlete. And it's definitely not optimal. So, you know, as a clinician, the understanding that what the lab level should be is super important when you're diving into looking, working with clients and being like, okay, yes, I know it's green, but this is nowhere near where we really want it. Or, or a lot of the times when they're looking at blood work, right, they might tell you you're normal, but it may be a low, low normal or a high normal. So mm-hmm. then if if you're not conscious of that or you don't know that that could be a problem or your doctor's just saying, okay, it's normal because they have so many patients and they got to go to the next patient. Yeah. Well, if it keeps trending low or keeps trending high, but it's not abnormal, probably something still could be going on that you right. may want to like take a little bit more effort to look into so it doesn't get into those yeah. ends of the spectrum or extremes. You mean prevent something before it happens? Oh, wow. That sounds like a crazy concept. There's like, I know, because I've had many people, they're like, the doctor says they won't do anything until it's X number. I'm like, why do we need to get to X number? Like, why, why do we deal with it before that? <laughs> Waiting is not going to help. I mean, it's, it's the no. same thing when you go into, you know, physicians sometimes and these specialty physicians and you got to wait two to three months. Like the person's going to struggle for two to three months and then see you. But then say like, ah, just take this. And then I come back and see me in three months. But that's, you know, that's a whole nother. It's a whole nother. (laughs) Um, But let's shift into like nutrigenomics, genomics. Like what do those terms mean? Like what's, you know, maybe the most up-to-date research on those kind of subjects right now when it comes to relationships with athletics? Yeah. So everybody, I'll kind of give a little background. So there's nutrigenomics and there's pharmacogenomics, and it's basically the start of personalized medicine. They've been using pharmacogenomics and like cancer research for years and helping target cancer cells. Um, but it's now coming down to actual, um, medications also being figuring out how does your body process? So how does your body either activate the drug to make it active in your body, or how does your body clear it? And so there's a lot of enzymes in your liver that do this process. And based on your genetics, your ethnicity, everything like that, you can, for example, you can be a fast metabolizer of a medicine, meaning it goes through your system really fast and you may not get the effect of a normal dose, or you can be a slow metabolizer, meaning that like 
you take the medicine and it lingers in your system longer and you have, you're more likely to have side effects. So using genomic testing, you can tell what your genes are. And based on research, we know what goes through certain genes and certain pathways from inflammatory pathways to vitamin D activation to how maybe like one of the biggest examples is like Plavix, which is an uh, anticoagulant or birth control pills. How are they metabolized? So you can get these tests done based on if you're looking at more nutrition, if you're looking at more drug specific to tell you how your body processes everything. And the good thing about, I like about genomics is your answer never changes over the years. It's not like a blood test where it's like this day, it may be high, this day may it be low next year. It's different your genetics stay the same. So you will always be, for example, like a slow metabolizer of caffeine, meaning that you're more likely to be sensitive to caffeine. You're more likely to be kind of jittery. It may linger longer. That's never going to change over your life. So um, we are able to take that information and apply it to medication recommendations um, say you need to be an antidepressant or you're on an anti-inflammatory or maybe having surgery, we can find the medicine that is going to be best fit for your body and least likely to cause side effects, which is amazing instead of this trial and error. And then you can also use it nutrigenomics wise to help optimize um, diet recommendations, um, a little less trial and error and what diet may be best or what um, maybe like macronutrient ratio might be best. You might be more sensitive to carbs. So you might need a slightly lower carb ratio than what you think, um, or you might be more sensitive to proteins, but um, you're able to take all this information and really personalize the research or the, your tailor, your recommendations to the client. And they're super cool. Like I geek out on nutrigenomics and pharmacogenomics. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like we talked about prior to coming on here, you were just like, there's, there's so many pathways and they all intertwine. If this pathway goes to the wayside, this is going to affect this. And it's just mm -hmm. kind of like a downstream effect. If one thing yes. gets affected, it's going to have a domino effect somewhere else in the body. But yeah. that's why you can't, <clears throat> that's why you can't just look externally because no. someone can, can look like they're terrific. But if you're not doing the internal tests, Sometimes yeah. you may never know and no. that person can just continue on with that for who knows months to years at times, I would assume. Yeah. So I had a, I had a high school athlete, uh, you know, I think she at this point college level athlete. So she was take she was ending up on like ibuprofen and anti-inflammatories daily for, for aches and pains, stress mm -hmm. fractures. I was like, oh my gosh. And then they started adding like a proton pump inhibitor because she had GI issues. And so the way a lot of anti-inflammatories metabolize, we found, we did a nutrigenomics and pharmacogenomics test on her because she was having, she had by this point been on like birth control pills, proton pump inhibitor and ibuprofen. And I was like, something's going on here. And so we like, she's a slow metabolizer of NSAIDs. So that makes her more likely to experience side effects. So she was having the GI side effects. So instead of realizing that it was the anti-inflammatory, they just added a proton pump inhibitor, which then caused low calcium and low iron and low magnesium. And she had stress fractures. So they added calcium and a birth control pill because she wasn't having her cycle normal. So we were like, we looked at nutrition, we looked at um, obviously getting off the anti-inflammatory, helping with inflammation, but finding a better option based on her genomics. But I was like, it all started in the fact that she doesn't metabolize ibuprofen or the anti-inflammatory she was on um, 
efficiently. So a normal dose would be, is too much for her body causing side effects. Yeah. It's just like, we, you know, as a physician, you just, it just seems like they're just dumping on meds. Like, all right, you got this symptom. Well, this will fix that. Oh, you got this symptom. This will fix that. And then by the time you know it, you're on, you know, especially if you look at our grandparents, you're on 10 different medications. Yep which one's even working and which one's actually harming you. And then which one's like not allowing the other ones to do what they're supposed to do. And nobody's thinking about nutrition. Like no one's thinking about medication timing for the most part. They just know doc wants me to take it. I'm going to take it. Here's my morning coffee. And I'm going to slug down all 10 of these pills at one time. But in reality, like, okay, well now 50% of these are not even working or being absorbed or affecting something else. Correct. Correct. You got it and hit the nail on the head. <laughs> it's, it's somebody that young, right? Like that's an instant red flag. If, if someone that young in college is on three, four medications already, you got to do a little more investigation work there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. So I do get a lot of like college athletes and we're looking, sometimes it's as simple as like, an anti, they need an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety and helping them through the stresses of college and sometimes finding the best choice so that they're not, struggling for four or five, maybe six months, trying, try this one, try this one. What's the side effect? Is it going to cause weight gain, weight loss, low energy, not sleeping? And I'm like, you're already having enough stress as a college athlete. So let's, let's kind of cut that and let's figure out the best choice ideally first and start there. Or like you said at the very beginning, like maybe you go back to the basics. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you need to talk to mental conditioning or sports psychology because you can't seem to handle these new stressors that you're dealing with. So you, you need to develop some tools to be able to do that versus finding other means. That's just, you know, what I call the bandaid. We're sticking the bandaid on it. It's helping for a little bit. It's not actually fixing it and probably going to explode on you later Sometime. on. Yeah. So let's, let's just do some base level work and figure out why you're tired, why you're injured all the time, because it's probably going to relate back to a lot of those things. And if we can fix those and Maybe that, just that in general, gets you off some of these medication, gets you to feel better. True, true. And I, I always, I definitely agree with that is like, like you said, looking, having that, you know, taking away the stigma of going to counseling or going to the mental health coach or anything like that and being able to look at, you know, what deep inside what's going on. And um, I find stuff that I wish I had where there's so many tools and so much information out there of how to like breath work and meditation and journaling and this. And like, I was like, yeah, like maybe they told me about it, but nobody said like, Hey, this is how you do it. And this is how it works. And, you know, give it a try for a couple of weeks. And like being able to have all these tools in your toolbox is so cool now these days. So I love the fact that there's these, all these services to athletes that they can have, but I guess it's removing the stigma and having them feel confident and being able to ask for help and go to these um, dietitians, PTs, ATs, sports psychologists, and get the tools. And that may be all that they need, like you said. And a lot of them are competitive. So it's also just like challenging them a little bit, you know, hey, you're coming with all these negative things. You don't feel great. You know, this is happening. Like you said, just try this for a week. Yeah. Right. Just give what I'm telling you a chance for a week. You know, what's a week out of, you know, the entire year that you have. And Correct. You know, tell, tell me if I'm wrong, but, you know, Sunday, Monday, if you did this one or two little things that I wanted you to do, do you feel better? And if you can answer yes, right, you're, you're going to make the decision to keep coming back for more questions and getting more help. But there may be something I can do for you if you're seeing a difference in that amount of time. Yeah, <laughs> and a lot sure. of time are like, oh, my gosh, I feel better. And you're like, yeah, because you weren't doing that for the last 
15 <laughs> to 20 years. So we can't change all this in two seconds. Yep. And everyone wants that because of the lifestyle we kind of live nowadays. But give it a chance and we'll be able to get you there eventually. It's just going to take some time to to work with us. Yeah. Yeah. I And it, like you said, I think some of it is society these days, they want a quick fix. And I'm like, sometimes this isn't quick. It's little baby steps that add up and we're going to have to do this stepwise. And, you know, trying to get somebody to commit and understand that is, can be challenging too. For sure. One, one last question I have for you is, so you mentioned like looking at how much carbohydrates you might need or diet recommendations, or maybe an intolerance or an allergy or something like that. Do you use other tools in combination with nutrigenomics and genomics like do you do a vo2 max like is there just like an accumulation of tests to figure out what your i don't know ratio or, or best plan would be no i don't i'm not that super sophisticated i know there's <laughs> some some of my colleagues that work at larger institutions that have availability of that do mm -hmm. um most of my work has been high school and college level athletes that don't always have access to all of that stuff. Um, some, like I said, some of my colleagues are with professional teams and they have all of that and they are using that to definitely hone in the answers much quicker. But um, we are, I'm looking at like diet logs, training performance journals. Sometimes I even use wearable information that can be very helpful these days um, and nutrigenomics together to try and help start uh, an idea or plan of how of action. Yeah, it's always multifactorial. There's there's yeah. several pieces of the puzzle that have to get looked at. <laughs> yes, but, yes. A, a so fun fact finisher to, to yeah. kind of end on this note. If you were only to look at one gene or one biomarker, or there may be one of those that could be something someone can look at to help them, mm. what would you choose? So one of my favorites, one of my favorites is like MTHFR for um, activation of, it's the methylation gene and it methylates B vitamins. It also takes home, um, homocysteine to methionine to help with inflammation. Um, and for women, it can play a role in um, fertility. So in about six, 50 to 60% of the country doesn't methylate really well. So it's something you can actually buy like methylcobalamin instead of cyanocobalamin over the counter as a B vitamin, um, B12 vitamin. And it's a simple fix, but it can make a big impact because it can make the vitamins feel better. It can decrease inflammation and help with, uh, help with fertility for some of my females. So that's one I of think. my favorites. It's pretty impactful. One of my others, I'll just add it to it. It's not so much that it, it's pretty, it's a cool gene. It's called the comp gene and it's got a ton of research behind it. And I always laugh because I can never say it right. So you're either, you can be in the middle, but the extremes are someone who's a warrior. Like you worry a lot and like you're anxious and um, because of the way the gene works, it, you, you get extra anxious, but you actually have less addictive um, hab habits. Whereas the opposite is a warrior, like someone very strong and very like resilient, but those people are actually more likely to have addiction properties because of the way the gene works. So I, that is one of my favorites, um, just for like kind of overall kind of what the person's like. I think that gene would help a lot of people. <laughs> it, would. it would. It definitely would. It explains a lot when you're like, oh yeah, definitely see that answer. <laughs> And I like the, what you said about the first one. So small side note before we, we kind of end here was yeah. I spoke to another dietitian 
that worked in the NHL realm who has a lot of background in this too. And, and she was mentioning like, Hey, probably a lot of athletes, you should check homocysteine because yeah. they're probably going to be really high. And the last population group that I worked with the last facility, probably, I would say 70%, 80%, like their homocysteine was just through the roof. High, high. Yes. Yes. So she had mentioned like, yeah, just, you know, use, use this product, use this type of B vitamins. And she goes, you'll probably have a better opportunity for them to absorb it or probably have a better opportunity to have them, you know, methylate it in that sense. And then that, you know, that then significantly <laughs> drop that down. And then she goes, well, that also has interplay with, you know, B12 and folate and some of your iron yeah. levels. And like those may be abnormal as well. So you, if you have multiple of these red flags that probably all one thing is going on or it's stemming from maybe just that. Yeah. So it, it methylates um, B12, it methylates folate and it methylates homocysteine. So you get, so folate can obviously play a role in anemia and iron issues. Um, you have B12 energy and then homocysteine inflammation. So yeah, it's one of my favorite. It's pretty impactful. Good good to know for the yeah. future when I do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but really appreciate having you on. I think this is, you know, super unique and I've had some, some newer divisions of opportunities for practitioners to listen, like esports, fighting, NASCAR, first responders. I think there's just more and more opportunities opening up for practitioners in our field to associate with, get to know. Um, I think this will be a great episode for people to listen to, to get some more information on it. But all of her information, Jessica's information will be down in the show notes. Mine will be down there as well. So if you guys want to contact, communicate, or have a conversation like this, let us know. Appreciate you, Jessica. Thank you. Have a great day.